right, so you're vibing out over there. I like that. That's yeah, that's kind of trippy. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of wanted to have that 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 effect on people. Um, so uh, welcome to the Texans Unfiltered. I'm your host, Young Ari Gold, uh, a.k.a. James, or it could be James, a.k.a. Young Ari Gold, whatever it would be. Um, luckily today, joined by Seth Payne, uh, my favorite, one of my, it is my favorite morning show, hands down. It is my favorite. Like, and there are some that are here, you know, we could talk off air about that, the other guys, but you and Sean have this crazy dynamic that I just think is so great. So not to skip your intro, but I don't know if it's necessarily needed anyways. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. If you guys don't know me, I'm, uh, I'm Seth Payne. I played for the first five years of the Texans existence and I played 10 years in the NFL. And now I've been a, I've been a radio host longer than I was an NFL player. So that's my official job now. And you have an amazing radio show that's like turned into this. Like, did you honestly think when you got into radio that it was like, you know what? I'm actually, I'm going to be one, like in the primetime slot. Two, I'm going to have like a really good dynamic with my co-host. And three, I'm going to do this for a long time. Um, okay. Those are good questions. Cause I don't, I don't know if I had answers or like even thoughts about any of those. I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And it's funny when you when you think about like doing it for a long time. I can remember really well, like the first within the first couple of weeks that I had taken the full time job with Mike Meltzer when we were doing the middays. It was the New Orleans Super Bowl, and I remember walking around like New Orleans, kind of wondering like, "Oh crap, what did I get myself into? I don't know what the hell I'm doing." Radio okay. Row. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you know, totally like the thing I was always worried about was I always had this vision of like everybody being like Charlie Pulillo. Like they must all have like this <laughs> yeah. brain. They can pull up facts and figures so all the time. Smart. So I'm at the. I'm at the radio row and like they're throwing people down in front of you to interview. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was very overwhelming. So like, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have expectations. I knew I enjoyed doing it and enough people had told me that I had, you know, a, a skill for talking. Um, I, as far as like finding a co-host and cause I was really lucky to be with Mike for a long time. And I think he and I complimented each other well. Um, and then being with Sean, we complement each other very well in a lot of ways, but I just had no clue like about anything. Like I didn't know, like I just kind of jumped into it yeah. um, and tried to do what they told me to do. So it's been, it's been, it's been like a journey of discovery. It's been fun. Yeah. And in a moment of vulnerability here, I'm just going to ask you straight up. So, you know, NFL athlete, you know, when you entered that, was there like an imposter syndrome? Like, can I do this? Like, am I going to be good at this? Is this, you know, cause a lot of, you know, we, we see athletes on the field, yeah, but we don't really get to see this type of athlete where you can have that kind of conversation. So no, that's, it's a really good question because yeah. Uh, for one, it's just, it's weird. Like it's, and right. it's less weird now for people. Cause I think that people podcast more and they're always streaming and they're talking into zoom, but like the thought of having a conversation with somebody or God, like doing a solo show back then, for me, like the thought of doing that was just, it's such a strange and artificial thing to do. So that part of it was just strange and kind of surreal. The imposter syndrome part. Yeah. I think there was like always, um, I, I think maybe myself more so than most athletes who get into media, like was, a, I was aware of the existence of a jockocracy and like the fact that like really talented the media personalities kind of get screwed over in favor of yeah. athletes moving in. So I always felt like, all right, I don't want to be somebody. I'd never want to be somebody that's saying, you know, well, you don't know because you didn't play the game. Cause like, okay, my, 
my job is to use words to explain what it's like to play the game, not just to sure. say, like, oh, yeah, you, didn't, you don't know because you didn't play the game. So, um, yeah, I've always kind of felt I, – I felt like a responsibility with that early on. And I think I just – over time – over time, like, I, I worked really hard at learning how to talk about basketball and baseball on the radio mm. to the point where I almost got, like, too nerdy about it. And then I realized, like, oh, no, it, it should be more – especially in basketball – like you break down, break down defense and basketball. Like very few people actually want that. You just like the drama and the right. um the individual battles are way more interesting. So it's like simplifying it over time actually got easier. Well, and it's funny because now Astros talk. It's it's almost like that's become second nature to you. Which I would assume like the success of the Astros probably play a part. But like at the end of the day, you weren't a baseball player, but now you're you're pretty damn good at speaking baseball. Well, I, you know what it is, is you get this emotional attachment to the players. And I think that, I think that more than anything, cause I was never really a baseball fan until the Texans took me in the expansion draft in 2002. That was the first time I'd ever lived in a baseball city. So I started going to baseball games and, you know, getting to see these guys and understanding the stress that you feel when a guy is at the plate, yeah. like the excitement mm. you feel when a guy makes a play in the field. So that part of it, um, it's been fun just because that like I, you don't get that in football. Like I, I used to think it was kind of a stupid point about how in football you don't see the guys' faces, so you don't form as much of a connection. But man, I like I totally get it. In baseball, it's all right there. You see the guy like oh that's a human being, and uh, you know like El Tube, you watch El Tube year after year after year. You like so, my yeah. wife. My wife feels like. If anything ever happened to Altuve, I would have to like take my wife to a psychologist for at least a year, like for grief counseling. If if he if he left or anything, because she's so emotionally attached to him. No, that's 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 amazing. What made it? What made you stick to Houston after? You know, like coming from Jacksonville, playing here five years. Like, what you were just like? You know what? Houston's just great, or we're comfortable, or kids are in school, so therefore gonna have to, or. There were a couple things I'd kind of bounced around. We had a house in Jacksonville still. Um, I was I lived right next door to Tom Coughlin, which I didn't know oh, until I moved into the house. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the the realtor told me that Tom Coughlin, my old coach, lived in right. the neighborhood. So I moved in the first day I'm moving in. Uh, Judy Coughlin, his wife, who's awesome, but still was a, like I didn't know that at the time. She walks up and she's like, "We're right next door." <laughs> <laughs> like oh, Coughlin's, Coughlin's gonna be yelling at me all the time um but we lived we had a house there that we still had from from when I was playing and um and we kind of like we realized we wanted to be closer to family so we moved up to upstate New York and lived in my wife's hometown we're from we're from pretty close to each other but yeah. that's up in the middle of nowhere so like after about a couple of years of living up there, we realized, all right, we might want to be around civilization more than we need to be around family right now. Sure. And John Granado, every now and then, would call me. And I think by then he was at 1560. They had moved to 1560. So Granado would call me every now and then to get my opinion on something. And, and Granado kind of encouraged me to get into it. And I was getting antsy and kind of stir crazy up in the sticks. So I just came down one Oh, gosh it was in the spring i think and i went around and i i did a, like a little i did a spot on air with each of the three stations at the time and um and just kind of like decided to go for it and moved back down to houston and did some texans radio in 2012 and just got offered the full-time job in uh, january 2013 
Wow, that's pretty awesome. To it's it's funny how the the dynamic of the circle in Houston radio goes. John Lance, John Harris, Sean, Mike, like it's everybody is associated with somebody in some yeah. form or fashion. They, there's definitely a link. It's uh, it, it's, we were talking about that this morning too about how like there was this like mass diaspora of Houston athletes that all left over the last few years. And now all of a sudden like Harden wants to come back and right. you know, D'Amico wanted to come back here. Like that, <laughs> right. that part was, that was just so, that was what was so cool about D'Amico wanting to come back here. I feel, I feel like if, if everything works out really well, that'll have to be part of the story when they overly dramatize it is that like we were all suffering and all these athletes had just decided to leave, whether it's Springer or Correa or Harden or whoever else I'm missing right Sean. now. Yeah, Desha- <laughs> yeah, DeAndre. <laughs> but but they're like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, you've got D'Amico who comes back and says, like, no, this is where I want to be. I don't yeah. want to be anywhere else. This is where I want to be. That part was – I got really I got really excited when I heard that part of the story. I think for me, like as a fan, like looking at it from just that perspective alone, to, to feel wanted, which sounds so strange to say as a fan, right? Because yeah, like, yeah. normally that's not something you ever really actually feel. You only feel that in your human life. But to feel wanted after the two years that, or technically the three years this team has really been through by the top head coaching candidate, let alone him also be the former captain and drafted player, it was like, oh shit, like this is, wow, this is, this can only be cool. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, I mean, he was the sought after candidate, which I'll, you know, obviously, like I try to maintain as level headed as possible. I just, I, I really love D'Amico Ryan. You love him. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, um, but he was, he was so impressive to me when I was I was in my tenth year in the NFL when he was a rookie, and I know I've I, I know you've probably heard me tell this story before, but like the first day he was calling plays in the huddle, he was kind of having trouble spitting the words out, and and I was like a grumpy old veteran, and it was probably 107 degrees, and and I I, I kind of tore into him, and he just kind of looked at me. And like, didn't freak out or anything. He just, and he just kind of calmed me down. Like, as I'm like trying to chide wow. him, he just tried to kind of like calmed me down. And he just has that persona. And I think that, that sometimes, like, sometimes I worry about when I describe him, that people are going to think that you know, he's some kind of dormouse or something. So I, I like, I highly encourage everybody if you haven't, because you don't really think of, D'Amico as a football player, especially if you're younger or something, go watch some D'Amico Ryan's highlights. Like he was not a doormouse. Yeah, no, yeah, like he was. He was like a, <laughs> that Ronnie Lott type of guy. That like yeah. he was a perfect gentleman off the field, but like on the field was just a missile. And uh, it was like the perfect blend of everything you want in a football player. So be honest here. Did you know it was happening, and you just couldn't say anything before it was actually announced? Like you don't have to say who or what or where it came from, but where there's there like. A moment where you said, "Okay, this is going to happen." Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember when it was. I had a little bit of advance warning, and I just I knew, I knew I was on the right track because I was there was, I had reason to believe that the lawsuit wasn't going to be an issue. Um, yeah. and that was like the biggest. So he had because he had sued the team yeah. while he was a player, and so like I had. And what was to, that actually about? What was it? Was it just like a turf thing? Or yeah, it was unsafe playing conditions. I okay. think he, that was because when he came back and he was with the Eagles, he tore his Achilles tendon on right. the field. So, and I don't even remember how it all worked out. I think there might have been a settlement or something. But like, I just I had reason to believe that that wasn't going to be an issue. But then there was still like so many questions about exactly how he was going to feel about the organization. There was that report that he wasn't interested. Um, yeah. There was all like, there was just so much smoke that you just never know. 
And like, I've gotten enough, I've gotten enough bad stock tips in my time that I know like <laughs> not to believe something just because I'm hearing stuff on the inside. So I really wasn't sure until I uh, until just probably a couple days before, but, um, it was, uh, like, it, like, I, I think that's another thing too, that we'll probably forget over time was that the Texans were just getting dragged through the mud. Yep being labeled as an organization that, you know, it, it, it fired so three names. head coaches in three years or four in four years. Cause they wanted right. to lump lovey. They wanted to lump an interim coach into there too. Um, and that all that, all that part of it made sense. But I think the biggest thing that people don't won't remember, cause I know they don't remember it about the Astros is like how miserable it is while you're trying to reset that. Cause nobody really, you have no reason to trust or believe in the people doing the resetting. Cause like, you know, like there was no reason to really believe in Luno at the time um, right. until they pulled it off. And likewise, I think that's the ugly part of it. Like if we were to go into this season and just try to suck again, uh, Casario wouldn't have his job at the end of the year. There'd be so much drama and it would just be, it would be a mess. Speaking of Casario. So like my favorite segments are hands down when you guys talk to, to Nick from the entrance to the the ending, no matter how it goes, like it's just it's the only time that I get to hear Nick Casario be humanized, mm. and, and it's the only time that we can really get a sense of like who the person is. Every other time, it's you know it's this typical you know general manager stuff, and I think you guys do an amazing job with that. Like, what is it that like? Because I think you struggled actually the first time you interviewed him to really get like a some form of relationship going, and then out of nowhere, it's like it just worked. Like. How do you like he's so analytical? So yeah, like, he's yeah. just different. Yeah, that's um it, it, it's a good question. I'm actually glad you're asking that question because sometimes you don't consciously think about it as much as you should to try to form that relationship. I think early on we we realized like, okay, look, uh, you know, there's there's parts of Nick that come from the New England school where he's good, right. like, and I don't think he's I don't think he's ever trying to be like Bill Belichick, but I think there's kind of a, a close, you know, keeping things too, uh, tight to your vest uh, part of it. But also that, you know, he's uh, uh, as a GM, it's a weird position because those guys, a lot of times their first time really dealing a lot with the media is when all of a sudden they're the head of a football team. And Nick had dealt with the media in New England. So that wasn't as much of an issue. Um, but I think we, we decided that these first couple times that we have an interview will be, you know, very careful. You know, we want to try to form a long-term relationship and we'll take it on the chin in terms of, you know, being accused of asking softball questions because we right. did. <laughs> so we go into it. So you go into it and like, listen, I'm not going to check Twitter for at least like three hours after the show. Because- Leave Lamont alone. Yeah. <laughs> Just let Lamont, let Lamont get it all off. <laughs> or anybody. Well, realistically, it's true though. Um, it's true. Like fans want the hard questions to be asked and that's what they, that's what they deserve. Like they deserve to at least have that question asked of a, of a GM. So we kind of thought like, all right, we gotta, we just gotta be sure that we're respectful and, you know, not pushovers or anything, but we want to develop a relationship to where he feels like he can trust us. Almost like you're like, you're, you know, you're taming a timid, timid, wild animal. Um, so a lot of it was and, and a lot of it too early on was just, like reading as much as I could to try to figure out what really interested him and the way he thought. So I like, you know, I went back and found the 
books from the um, uh, or uh, videos from the I'm thinking uh, the Sloan conference, the Stats conference, um, and various interviews he had done. Um, he's mentioned in a couple different books about the Patriots and articles about the Patriots. So I try to I try to try to find some common ground that way. The only hazard in that is that a lot of times there's inaccuracies in those things, you know, in those articles that are written yeah. about people. So you have to be really careful when you're like, so you've said before that you, you know, <laughs> hate short people, you know, <laughs> like, um, and then it was just so like over the course of it, like we started to just be able to figure out, you know, how to loosen him up and get him to laugh. And Sean, like Sean knows, Sean figured, Sean realized or figured out that he was into wrestling. And like, so that was big for those two. And um, so I think after a couple of times, we got to the point where I, we felt like, okay, you know, I can ask him hard questions. Um, sometimes, you know, you're not like, when you know, you're not going to get an answer out of him, but you want to ask the question and maybe you can shed some light on it a certain yeah. way. It's, but he's got a good tactic though, too, where if, when you ask him a question that he really doesn't want to answer, he just goes a long time. Like he talks a long like time. Word so, salad. Yeah. So then you're like, so then you're thinking, well, we've got a half hour with him and you're like doing the time budgeting. Like, man, he's going to filibuster if I, if I ask him this, but I got to ask him this. So you try to ask some angle to it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think it's, I think he's enjoyed kind of learning how to loosen up a little bit too with guys that aren't, you know, necessarily I like, look, we're not tearing into him. Obviously we're a pretty friendly environment. Well, I think ultimately it, it sounds weird to say, but it's it's almost like a safe space for him to be able to just actually call in and, and have a conversation and, and it not be really anything else, right? Because at the presser, 32 reporters all searching. I mean, not to, and no disrespect to the reporters, but it's their job, all searching for the click. They, 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 and that's, that's, I mean, that's their revenue. That's how it's generated. So it makes sense. That's their living. But that's what, and so he knows to be cautious when, when speaking. Um, the interesting part about Casario for me is the way he looks like the, the talks of like, and this is probably so boring to everybody else, but I love the Silicon Valley talks. I love the stock talks. It actually, it really gives me a peek into this, into his mind. It lets me know how he views things. So I, I knew we wouldn't come out with all 12 picks because he was going to look at certain stock prices, which he would then be, you know, draft capital and he would trade it to grab whatever it may be. Um, but he's just such an intricate, like, person when it, when it comes to the way he thinks and i wish we got more of that yeah yeah it's hard too because um i think there's always still i think that he doesn't want to necessarily give anybody insight into exactly right. the way he thinks so like he'll have fun with my my you know wannabe stat nerdiness and everything um but i think that i think there is part where you know he'll let us he'll let us in on a little something like you know they yeah. discovered in a study that at a certain position height doesn't matter nearly as much as they used to think it did. So then immediately you're wondering like, all right, quarterback, defensive line, offensive line, what is it? Right. Then you go back and, but, but he's not going to give you everything obviously. Cause then some, some other team might realize that his evaluation is uh, a certain way. The, the thing that I've, I, I was talking to my wife about this this morning. The thing that I've learned to really like about him are some of the things that he says continually over time, when he starts, when he talks kind of philosophically about things or like yep. what, like he likes going out, like how he likes going about his business, you'll hear him say, you know, and that's okay. Like in talking about negotiations or if somebody's coming yeah. from something from a different viewpoint or something, I like, I think that's really his worldview in negotiating or in any kind of human relationship. 
you're going to have two people that are coming at it from at least slightly different perspectives. And you got to learn. And this is like the human side of him that I don't think he gets credit for. It's like, it's kind of like the robotic side, but that works really well for him as a human, like in dealing with Deshaun Watson, like, okay, oh, there's going to be certain things and they've got different expectations about what a contract is than I do and everything else. But like, you got to be able to separate some of those extraneous things or those differences and just try to focus in like a laser on yep. like the, on the common interests. And like, I think he's like, that's a very hard human thing to do that. I think he's actually really good at. I agree hundred percent. Like I, I think the Deshaun situation, even outside of the draft capital that was received just from before the trade, just the way everything was handled, honestly. And I told Sean this too. Like, I don't, I don't know if another GM would have been able to handle everything that came with Deshaun at that time. I would have dumped him for like a second. Exactly. Round. That's what I'm saying. You I know what I mean? So, I would have a stomach ache in the corner every night. Like, what? this isn't going <laughs> right. to end well. This isn't going to end well. Right. You you get a second and then they trade him for three first because. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> I was, there was at one point where I was like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm a freaking radio host. I got to talk right. about it. That's four what hours I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just, just get rid of him. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, imagine being the guy that started like a, a protest about him th- before everything came out, and then, and then like having to live with that for like the rest of your life. Like, and it's always, it's always like it's literally like as soon as I piss somebody off on Twitter, it's like, oh yeah, are you this guy? And it's like, oh yeah, that's that's, that's me. Where, that's where I can't like ever. I've like I've actually done a lot of work on myself over like the last ten years, man. And like, I used to be like, I used to be like, speaking of Lamont, like Lamont used to accuse me of being fake angry all the time. Like it was just like, no, dude, I was actually like a super angry person. Um, But there's a part of me that like, I never want to actually talk about it too much because I know somebody's going to shoot the video of me and Josh Innes out there. Like, ah, exactly. It's just going to come out. It's like, oh yeah, Seth Payne from 610 or Seth Payne from Josh Innes. Real placid there, fella. (laughs) uh okay, so, uh, yeah so you uh but that's you know i mean that was uh that was understandable though we had you know you had no <laughs> you had no reason to believe he was gonna have two dozen counts of oh, or no, allegations I, I, knew, I knew ahead of time i just was like you know what fuck it i'm gonna stand by this guy who has all these allegations oh that was okay when oh, did I'm you do kidding. that i'm just when kidding what? i'm okay. just kidding i would not have ever done that like it was just like I, you know what I felt like at that time? And, and nobody's ever, like, really asked. They, they just want to poke fun, which I don't really give a shit. Like, it's the internet. But um, it, it was just, like, we had so – we were shitted on for so long. Yeah. Prior to that. And it was, like, the only hope I felt for the franchise at the time was that Deshaun Watson was on our team. Uh, and, and quarterbacks were on the league. So I was, like, I could sit here and complain or I can try to do something. And maybe I won't do anything. But, you know what, at the end of the day – I did more than just type something. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the, the day was the worst day to do it, but everybody was off and I totally get it. And Brandon Scott already let me know ahead of time, but like, it was just, it is what it is. Like, what are you going to do? You yeah. know, we all yeah. make mistakes. Fuck it. That's what I know. Well, that, look, none of it makes sense. Like uh, you've probably heard me say this before. Like, uh, like every now and then we got to admit to ourselves, like we're this, anything involved in sports is complete like irrational nonsense. None of it makes sense, but like that's, it's whatever we need as humans to keep our sanity. We got to attach ourselves to something when like, when we don't have an actual army to fight or a battle to wage or something, we got to have something. Exactly. And I'm an idea guy. So like, and I'll be the first to admit it. Like I have a million ideas. I'm, I'm ADD like crazy. So like the ideas are just like flowing like the matrix. 
And one out of a hundred are probably good, but I tend to always <laughs> settle for 99 or 98. Right. Yeah. And, and that happened to be 98 and it's like, it's okay. But like, that's just what happens when you have so many ideas, you're going to act on them. You're going to hit on some, you're going to miss on some It kind of is what it that's is. A, no, that's interesting though, too. Cause if, uh, if, like, if you are like that, you do, you can't sit and contemplate all those different choices. At some point right. you just got to be in the habit of just taking action. Right decisive like yeah. I, I have to decide this is i'm gonna go this route that's um, actually good uh that's good advice for those of us who are intentionally challenged yeah i'm gonna write that um down. nick asario wh- how can he and this will be the last question about nick what do you think he could do to like kind of get out of that new england shadow right i mean look it doesn't matter ball boy came from new england he's trying to be Belichick. like it, you can yeah. it doesn't matter who you pull from new england you're, you're belichick can he kind of shed that or no that's interesting i think that i mean obviously team success would be a huge a huge thing i mean there would be the i think there would be the perception if it goes really well here for the texans in the next few years i think there will very much i think nick will actually get like all the credit he deserves when people look back on it in hindsight they're going to look exactly at the situation he stepped into. I mean, where it, his hiring was the very thing that apparently triggered Deshaun, oh. like going through with the trade request. And then like, and then how bizarre the turn of events were after that. Um, but if he can, if he can turn this around and build a championship caliber team, like, I don't like, there's no part of this experience where they're going to be able to say, oh, okay, well, you know, he just he just stepped into something and it was ready made for him. So I guess the and then if, if anything, like I the the argument I would start making is like, hey, we need to re-examine Belichick and see how much of it was actually Nick Casario, uh, which right. would be I, there's a lot. I mean, there's I I don't like to get into those arguments too much about like Belichick versus Brady or anything. Like it always takes multiple parts to do anything. But right. you do wonder if yeah, like over time, you know is I wish Belichick were a younger man. So it'd be easier to kind of do the comparison thing, but I'll, I think he'll get, I think he'll get credit as long as the team does well. I think ultimately we're seeing that he's, he's building this roster a lot differently than what we've seen from the Patriots in the past. Right. When would you have ever seen Bill Belichick trade up to grab Will Anderson? Yeah. Like those are the types of things where like the risk adversity, the new England Patriots have always kind of, They've, they've always been risk adverse. It's, it's very much standard process, right? Yeah. And Nick's kind of come in and, and swung a little bit here and there. Swung huge with holding on to Deshaun when everybody told him to trade him when the offer for Miami was two ones and he ended up getting more back once the settlement happened. Um, so, and then you look at like, then there's other parts where he's very much like Bell, Bill, um, where it's trade for Shaq Mason, seventh round pick, no big deal. If we don't extend him, we get a good year. It's okay. Like all these little moves, Marcus Cannon, come on over. Like, we'll give you this. Those are all very Belichick style moves or were they Casario style? moves? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, yeah, the Patriots went we hog know. wild uh, in free agency after Casario was out of right. there. So it, it made some like pretty aggressive. I would say, I hate to say overspend in free agency because they're all overspends. Like your right. Meltzer taught me this. If you're, if you're if when you get a free agent, usually you you were the highest bidder. Like that wasn't whatever yeah. you know. It wasn't the average of all prices. You were the highest bidder, and that's one of the dangers of free agency. But um, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think that I think that if he the biggest thing that I think people assume about him that I don't believe, and you know, it's not like we're best buds or anything. 
Um, but I don't think that he has to have this like complete and total control and power over D'Amico. Um, I think that with anybody, there would be probably, you know, at first, you know, a want or desire to be sure that you're in control of things. I could see those two over time really developing like kind of a, a Baltimore Ravens style of relationship where I think Ozzie Newsome and um, Harbaugh had a very good, just natural symbiotic relationship. I think right. the majority of times there is like an alpha between the two of them, between the GM and the head coach. But I do think that there are times where um, guys just work well together. And, and, and I hope that's what these guys like. That's what I felt from the very beginning. That thing I said about Nick, and how he's able to just separate all the nonsense yep. from the core issue. Like, that's D'Amico. Like, D'Amico, th- th- that's why so many guys can relate to him. He is not hung up on any kind of, like, the any kind of, like, macho BS, weird head games that you learned from your junior high coach in 1964 or anything like that. Like, he just mm-hmm. wants to help guys get better. And, like, they're, they're different personalities – but I think they're that right there, like the fact that they are very much focused on getting everybody going in the same direction, like that that could end up being a really good thing. Yeah. All right. So moving moving to the draft, um, you know, I, one of my favorite things about when I listen to you guys is is uh, you'll be you're you're very open to saying you know what like you'll switch your opinion and it's not and it's not even like a big deal to you. You're like you know what ah, maybe if we're gonna take like for instance I think it was a week before the draft it was if we're gonna take a quarterback swing. And yeah. take Anthony Richardson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of been my thought the entire time going into it. It's like, you know, you have the whole take a crowd. We talked about this before. Take a quarterback because you have to. To Not taking a quarterback because you don't love him. What do you think CJ of CJ Stroud as a draft prospect? And, like, obviously that's too tough. I think it's blown out of proportion a little bit. Um, but when you hear him speak, I don't know. I'm one of those people that I tend to judge how you talk. Yeah. But maybe that's just because I'm good at talking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are you, what are your thoughts on CJ? Um, I think that the accuracy is a real thing. Uh, like in the, specifically the ball placement, I think that that probably really appealed to Bobby Slowick and Nick Casario just because run after the catch is such a big deal with those successful, you know, Coop Shanistani offenses. Yeah. Um, for those people that don't know, I call it the Coop Shanahan, Kubiak Shanahan. I got tired of saying the Kubiak Shanahan system. Have uh, you so, copyrighted it? Yeah. And, oh no! Somebody got the website. I think already. You should so start famous. a shirt that is only sold on six ten, like the and then have like shadows of a uh, little Shanahan and Kubiak, like in yeah. the back. I, don't know. <laughs> I know something a little. See, you, Ninety-nine you, out of the one hundred ideas just came out. You're welcome. The fact, yeah, the <laughs> t-shirt company would probably be a good. If you got that many ideas, a t-shirt company is definitely these days the thing to do. Um, I think that I do like so like advantages over Bryce Young. Obviously, the height, whatever. Yeah. Um, the height, whatever, but. Like he can drive it to the sidelines better on some of these like 15 yard out yep. routes, I think. Um, you know, and they you know, they knocked Deshaun for supposedly not being able to do that, and he's just fine because he's got such good anticipation and, and timing. But um I think that the biggest concern I had, likewise, was at first I, I was worried, I was nervous about his personality. Um just because the interviews that I had watched or the press conferences I had watched, I just never felt like he really looked like he had that kind of quarterback charisma, like even, right. like even to the level of an Eli Manning or something. Yeah. Um, 
And then I just like I watched the the interview on the pivot that Ryan Clark and Fred Taylor and Channing Fryer do yep. whatever his name is. Um, and like I I was very impressed with that. And then some Ohio State people, like various Ohio State people over the last couple months, have like tweeted me stuff and DM'd me stuff. Like oh, various right. various times where CJ has shown his personality. Mm. A lot of times it's like when he's interacting with Bryce Young, uh, ironically enough. And like I think that I think he's a very guarded person, and probably partly due to his upbringing and right. everything that happened to him. I think the and Nick is I think Nick has alluded to this. Um, and I've heard other people talk about it, so I don't know. Like, this is all speculation on my part. Sure. I think they might with – I think with um, CJ, I could see it being a situation where they're like, okay, sometimes he, sometimes he doesn't quite believe or want to buy into what the coach is saying immediately. And is that – like, what is the reason for that? Is it because of a skepticism? Is it because he really just wants to know and understand it? Or is it because there's trust issues? I don't know. These are all just various things that, that people have speculated. So I, I think the question then is like, okay, like how do we go about addressing these issues? If they are issues at all, um, if they are issues at all, but like, how do we go about addressing these issues and actually have good fruitful conversation? Cause I feel like I've played with a lot of guys in the NFL that, um, you know, did like just sometimes just not trust people. Um, and it's hard. You know, I, I, I was talking to Jonathan Joseph about a defensive back that played for the Texans who just flat out didn't trust anybody. And the, the kid was, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but sure, the kid was hard. really talented, but like he just, he did not want to accept advice from Jonathan because he didn't trust him, didn't want to accept advice from Kareem because he didn't trust him. Like it was just it, for whatever reason, because of his upbringing, that was the way he was. So, like you've got to have a plan for overcoming that. Now that was an extreme example. And I don't think that's anything at all like CJ or any successful college quarterback is. So I like whatever smoke there was about him being hard to coach. If there's any truth to it, I think that Ryan day and Nick Casario and Bobby Slowick and uh, who am Gerard. I missing here? Yeah. 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 Oh, Gerard, especially. Yeah. Gerard, I and think that, him that, more than anything. Boy. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm glad you brought up Gerard. Because Gerard's got that personality He's of kind piece. of a, exactly yeah piece yeah yeah so and, and like I hate to I hate to talk about it like it's a real thing without knowing exactly what it is sure. but whatever smoke there was about all that um, I think yeah you're right Gerard might really be a big factor in that yeah I, I, when I when I think of the quarterback room now with Gerard Johnson just based on like growing like living in Houston for so long before I moved to Austin like always hearing Lopez. Gerard would always call up. So like you could hear, like you would always hear Gerard on the radio if you, you know, happen to listen to Lopez and just hearing that guy talk and then now watching interviews of the past or anything that he's done at like the elite 11 or whatever, he's the type of guy you want your quarterback to be around. There's really no doubt about it from a personal perspective, the character that Gerard mm -hmm. Johnson is. And so when you bring that in and then when you add the stuff that Nick said on Friday with you guys, um, I think ultimately CJ is CJ. And I think that's okay. Yeah. But I think, but when you're different, you are viewed as such in a league where different isn't normally accepted. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, in the NFL, I mean, look at how long it took him for her to adopt some of the college concepts because it was just right. like, no, we run an NFL offense. This is good. Part of that is because you used to be able to just try to murder the quarterback. So they had to do certain things to protect him. Um, 
But I think that, you know, I, I'm really glad you brought up Gerard because it was something I had thought of a while ago that sets him apart from a lot of NFL coaches, which is because he spent time as a, a quarterback tutor or, you know, like a private quarterback yeah. coach. And because he spent a lot of time with youth athlete, athletes, he simply just has more reps dealing with more personalities. And, and that is one of the things you'd be amazed, like some position coaches in the NFL, like I swear they almost get worse over time um, because they don't actually work with that many dudes and they never really have to break things down to their fundamentals. So uh, like guys that are more X's and O's types of guys, sometimes they really start to lag on the actual teaching of fundamentals and technique and everything. So where with draw Johnson, like he's had just a boatload of experience with different types of athletes, different kids, different personalities, kids that didn't even want to be there, but their parents were making them and other kids right. that were like, like hyper competitive to their own detriment. So that, um, that might end up being really good. I think Gerard might be a really big factor in all of this. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So we have plans to like have talk about other stuff, but we're 40 minutes in. So therefore we're going to, we're going to pivot now. And we'll, we'll just talk about Will Anderson to that way you can get on with your day and go hang out with the kids and wife, right? <laughs> Dinner starts shortly. Um, but, you know, Will Anderson, <clears throat> how important is that character, that good guy, the genuine individual in, you know, on the defense or just in the locker room in general, right? We've seen it over, year, over the last two years since Nick's been here. We've really seen a true devotion to grabbing good veteran guys since yeah. since day one yeah it's it's always been about that but now you have a young guy coming in who's touted as one of the better human beings in the world which is amazing i'm a big believer in character how much of an impact can that really have on a locker room um that's a it's a really good question and it's probably such a hard thing to quantify i think that part of it is that yes it has a big effect on the locker room, um, especially if he has, you know, you know what I, the way I always try to look at it is you can, you can handle a few guys, a few character issues on your team, as long as they're not charismatic. Like uh, it's once, once the charismatic guy is the character issue guy, then it's death because he drags eight, nine, 10 guys down right. with him, you know? Um, so you got to be really careful when you bring a guy in. Like if Jalen, like whatever Jalen Carter's issues are, I, I feel like people weren't as worried about him because I don't think, I think he's more of a follower than a, you know, and everybody sure. says, Agreed. yeah, everybody says they want leaders, all leaders and everything. Like, eh, it's okay to have some followers as long as they're following sure. good dudes. So I think that that part of it is important. Um, but it's never that like one guy can change the culture. Uh, if, one guy can change the culture a lot if he's also a really, really good football player. Um, yeah. You know, like I think that, like I think <clears throat> on the football field at least, like Ray Lewis, um, Ray Lewis, yeah. just, he held people to a high standard and he created a certain kind of energy for that team, for that defense. Um, so that part is important. I think the biggest thing, honestly, is that I think that when you're drafting in the first round these days, like the the, the character in the confidence that a guy is motivated by more than just money is really really big like and there's yeah. parts like or i would look at cj stroud and i think if some people might think he has too much of an edge or something there's a part of me that says i'd rather have like that, that than like yeah. you know nick Foles can't stop getting up in front of people and 
telling him about how football doesn't really matter. You know, like I, 100%. I want, yeah, like I, you've, you've probably heard me say this. I like, I want my quarterbacks and my head coaches to lack perspective in life. Like, I don't want them to be healthy mentally. I want them to be like so obsessed to a sick degree that they have to like dial it back and remember like, oh yeah, I got to be with my family too. Um, and you know, like, I think guys are better at doing that these days. So I think it, it does matter. It's just, it's really hard to identify. So when with Will, I think the difference is that he kind of, in the same way that I talk about D'Amico, I think he almost kind of has this almost, mythological <laughs> reputation yeah that's earned by playing at one of the toughest places and toughest coaches to play for one in the of league. the toughest coaches yeah and so i think it's almost like the way i look at it like i don't <clears throat> i was talking to you before we came on i don't i don't particularly like the theory that it was a trade-up for a quarterback in actuality um and I, I don't get either. It. Yeah. Okay. But I, I get it. Like at first I didn't understand it at all. And then I, I worked real hard. Like I actually, I still don't understand it. <laughs> I think I but, quit. But go, ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go I, ahead. I compromised and figured like, okay, it's like a package, you know, it's like, sure. a, or, or, or it does make sense if what you really, really wanted was Will Anderson, but you were going to roll the dice and try to get both. You're still, you still could have taken Willie. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so it's like getting the sofa and the love seat instead of just buying the sofa. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could have gotten, but to get both of them, you had to take that gamble of taking Stroud first. But I guess the part that I don't like about that theory still is that it means that they had a quarterback that they thought was worth a third overall pick, but they valued him lower than a defensive end. And like just by positional value like right you gotta take the quarterback so but that's where i can i can see both sides of it so i try not to worry too much about it um but as far as like the actually taking of will anderson and whether he's worth it or not i think part of it was just insurance like whatever however you want to say like you spent a lot for the package deal if you want to call it a package deal and i think it's the insurance of feeling like all right this guy a is going to transfer to the NFL game as long as we use him a certain way, which I'm okay with. I was, I was a little skeptical about him translating some of his game to the NFL, but I think I know what D'Amico wants to do with him. Um, but B, just because he's such a solid dude and because they, I think they believe he's motivated by more than just money, that they feel yeah. really comfortable taking him up there. Yeah, I think um, – you, have you seen that Netflix doc? Uh, it's not the Dream Team, but it's the one with Kobe. Um, the, the What was that one? I, I forgot what it's called, but – have you seen it on Netflix? No. no. Okay. Well, first of all, you should watch it. Okay, um, I'm gonna write that down too. So basically, like they, they the USA team has lost like you know back to back to back, not been competitive whatsoever. Kobe Bryant and like Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, Carmelo and LeBron are like two years in the league. They're super young guys, and they're all coming back from the club at like four in the morning. And there's Kobe in the gym. He didn't go to the club with them, and he's already working out. And like Carmelo walked away like, oh shit, like maybe we need to like actually put in some work and that next morning, all of them were there. And so it's like, when I think of Will Anderson, I think of like doing the right thing, continuing to put the work in, especially on a young team, I think, and I've never been in the NFL. So it just becomes contagious in my opinion, because once yeah. you see one guy, you see another guy. And when you see another guy, you see another guy. And then it just becomes this feeling and this expectation that this is how we're going to do things. Redeem team. That's it. The redeem team. Okay. You know what? And um, actually, I'm really glad you brought that up because it's funny. I, I can remember when I was a player, you'd hear stories about some teams and one was 
like the Ravens. The Ravens as a team, it almost sounded like like your high school football team. Yeah. Like they would all like hang out together after games and have a big team party and everything. Um, the Bills back in the day, they were like the, their four Super Bowl team. Like the stories I would hear about that, because I know a couple of guys that played on those like those teams. It was like that was the dying gasp of like the old school NFL where like it was like a lot of the shit they did in the seventies was still yeah. going on, but also like they were, they would, they would party like crazy, but they would do it together. And like Jim Kelly would have the whole team over together um, <laughs> afterwards, like after games in his, in his basement for parties. And like, you'd hear about teams like that, that just had this tight camaraderie. Um, you know, the Broncos when Romanowski was kind of like the spiritual leader of that team. Yeah. And, and introduce them all to creatine. Um, it was like, needed. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, there are those. It's it's less common in the NFL than it is in college. But having those guys, and I think especially, you know, you heard Nick talk about how, you know, like Will Anderson and Bryce Young decided to play in the bowl game, even though they didn't. They didn't right. Need to. Like they helped Huge. keep that team together. That yeah, like that's. I think if you can create that kind of environment, that's kind of rare. Yeah, I think uh, that 30 for 30 that they did with the Ravens was so good because it just and it showed that they're still like this was only like six months ago, but they're all still close. They all still hang out like they bonded over that. aspect. Oh, really? Of that I, haven't seen, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I remember oh, there, was, yeah. there was a center, Quentin New Year, who was with that team when they just first started getting really good. And he, he told me a lot about it. It was, it was really cool. You're, you're kind of jealous. You're like, oh, I want to. I want to play in yeah. that NFL. That sounds I like want some fun. friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get teams can get. It's not like basketball where I guess it's like super clickish, but it can it can get kind of clickish. You know, guys got their own group that they hang out with, and um, it's not always as Houston and Houston. One of Houston's issues as a football team, or like I think for anybody in the city, for any of these teams is that guys do tend to be so spread out geographically. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's kind of, you know what, and it makes sense that, like in Buffalo especially, they all lived around Orchard Park, right. you know, and it's easy to get places and everything. You know, Green Bay, like it's easy for guys to hang out. And there is, it's almost like it becomes the athletic dorms, you know. Yeah. Like there's, it's it's harder in Houston. You got guys in Sugarland. There used to be more guys in Pearland. That's, that's changed the Woodlands. a little bit. Yeah. Oh God. Does anybody live in the woodlands? I mean, not that I know of, oh, okay, but I, yeah, I would I assume so. There like, might be. I, I yeah, mean, I, why wouldn't they? Early on it was um I remember like Steve McKinney lived down in Clear Lake and it was it was hard to it's hard to get everybody together. Yeah, you, you really have to work at it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes total sense. Um, well, cool. Well, Seth, I appreciate you. I'm sorry we didn't get to everything that we said we would get to. Um but I just want to say thank you for coming on. It was a great conversation. Um, and we'll definitely have to have you on again at uh, sometime in the future. No, no, it's my pleasure, man. And um, I know that like you were uh, you were worried at one point that I hated you on social media or something. Yeah. Um, it was I uh, at times I pretty much just like uh, I just disappear from social media. Um, and it's out of a disgust for the entire platform more so than any one individual. So I've like, uh, like I, I, a few years ago, I, I really tried to start leaving petty arguments aside uh, behind and everything. So no, no, no worries whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I never seem to worry if somebody like hates me or dislikes me. I, I did my biggest concern. And this is my ADHD again is, is being misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't give a fuck if anybody likes me. It's more or less that like 
did you understand what we were conversing about? And if not, like, did you know, did you get my point? Well, if you didn't yeah. get my point, like, I'd like to have that conversation so that you can at least walk away either understanding or educated. Like, that's the point of a conversation. Oh, you know what? No, because I remember there was one time where we disagreed about something. And I think that, uh, yeah, you were adding on to a point of mine and I didn't understand it at first, but then you clarified it. But then I think I just left the conversation because like as a bad communicator, I was like, okay, go, I'm good. See ya. <laughs> so you probably thought I was just like ditching you. So I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember that one, but yeah. um, I mean, even DMing you, you're just, you, you're like me. I have, I have kids, a wife. I've been married yeah, 17 yeah. years. Like Twitter's not going to be where I spend my free time. Uh, sorry. It's just not. Oh no, I felt bad. Yeah, you had followed up on a, a DM you had sent me, and I had the I had the reply loaded in the phone, and it just <laughs> it hadn't been sent. So no, my pleasure, man. Have me on again. I I get Absolutely. lonely, like like we've established. I get lonely. So hey, you're you're more than welcome anytime. Uh, so thanks a lot, Seth. I'm not. I gotta go do dishes. I'm not. I wish I were lonely right now. I gotta go eat dinner. Uh, she's made spaghetti from scratch, so I'm like super excited. New like fresh noodles and everything. Oh, really? I'm like, oh yeah, from yeah. Like, yeah, she Good. made the noodles, pressed them, rolled them. Like, is she Italian? No, she's Hispanic. <laughs> That's awesome. So, if I'm late, awesome, I won't be able to stream ever again because she okay. runs my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Go get your noodles. <laughs> All right. <laughs>